Now, <clears throat> three years ago, 27-year-old Dubliner Callum Grimes went out on St. Stephen's Night for a drink with his friends and he never returned home. Callum was hit by a car as he walked home. He was found on the side of the road the next morning by a bread delivery driver. So 200 days and 15 surgeries later, Callum died in Beaumont Hospital. Earlier this month, a part-time firefighter, Derek Keane, was sentenced to five and a half years in prison for dangerous driving causing the death of Callum. Callum's dad, Mark Grimes, has come in to me today. Um, Mark, you're very welcome and my condolences to you on, on the loss of Callum. He was your firstborn and he was your only son. He was, Brendan, yeah. He was a, a very happy-go-lucky young man. Made people smile wherever he went. Yeah. I, I, he, he he was a bit shy growing up. Oh, he was, yeah. Um, up until he went to Australia, he was a shy kid. Yeah. Um, he went to Australia with his girlfriend, and he just came back a man, and his whole life was opening up for him. Yeah, yeah. You say he walked to a different beat, yeah. Callum. Uh, his friends and myself would be mad into the football, like, you know. Yeah. Um, his friends would be all out playing ball and Callum would be in writing poetry or trying to self-teach himself to guitar and loved to rollerblade, skateboarding, just just different. And he was a rapper as well, I believe. He just started, yeah, since he came back from Australia. Yeah. Um, he'd done a few local shows. Um, one of his friends made us a, a CD, a three-song CD, um, shortly after he died. And uh, uh, he was, he was talented. Yeah, so great. he sounds like quite a special kind of a. Uh, yeah, guy. he was. Yeah. So in 2016, you had Christmas dinner together at your house, and and when was the last time you saw him then? Uh, well, Christmas Day in uh, my mum's place. He, uh, we all had Christmas dinner together, and we made an arrangement to go for a drink on Stevens's Day, which was. Uh, his nanny and granddad's anniversary and his granddad had just passed away a few years earlier. So we decided we'd go for a drink. Um, we met up uh, uh, in a local pub and had a, a couple of drinks, talked about talked about a lot of silly things, or what I thought at the time were silly things, but yeah. didn't turn out to be silly things, you know. Um, he then went off and met his friends so I suppose um, the afternoon of Stevens' day was the last time I would have talked to him. And what were the silly things that turned out not to be silly things? Because I presume you remember all of that conversation. Uh, right? It became probably very relevant in the months that, that, that followed. Um, he um, had a family friend, a friend of my mum's, who had um, Alzheimer's. And um, it upset me mum a lot. Uh, he talked about, um, you know, that if he was always into things of the mind, like poetry, reading, writing, rapping, that if he ever hadn't got his mind, he wouldn't like to um, continue on. And I, you know, I also said the same to him that if it ever happened to me, I'd hope he'd be brave enough to not let me suffer like that. Yeah, 
And that's that kind of conversation that people randomly have sometimes. Oh, it's just, it's yeah, just, it's just over in, a few in, points. In the hypothetical, yeah. So he went off to Scary's to meet up with some other friends. He met what? with a few of his close friends um, in, in Scary's. And uh, that afternoon while we were out drinking, um, work rang and asked him would he be able to come in on the 27th because they were after getting a delivery. And he, uh, he had agreed to do so. So um, he went out to Scary's and... Uh, had a few drinks with his friends and had some fun. Okay, and then t- the next day, then you you were to collect him. Uh, yeah, the um, because of the bus service, I said I'd collect him and bring him to work. Uh, he wasn't going in until ten o'clock, so uh, I uh, had agreed to pick him up and bring him to work uh, that happened? morning. Uh, in the meantime, of that morning, um, his mum, who we lived with, um. He was always, <laughs> he was always a blue-eyed boy, you know. He, she always um, worried about him, and he'd normally text, you know, because she was catching herself was going away that um, that morning, um, and he never texted her that he was home. So she had already rung me to say that had I heard from Cal or, and I, at the time I just said to her, "Look, I'm on my way in to get him. I'll let you know." When I when I see him, and you drove past the accident. I did, yeah. Um, I called to the house. Uh, he wasn't there, and I I drove down to Scary's um, to get something to eat, and the police were there with the you know the tape around at the time. I didn't think anything of it. Um, I went down by Scary's and then came back home to my mum's where. Um, the guards were after just calling to see did we know a, Cal- a Callum Grimes. Okay. <clears throat> what do we know now about what happened to Callum as he walked home? Um, he came out uh, to, to try and get a taxi to get home and he just couldn't get one, so he decided to walk. Um, it was about 10 to 2. He was talking to a friend on the phone um, and had agreed to text her when he got home. So we know he was still alive up to 10 to 2. And um, he was close, maybe 50 yards away from the path home, when um, Derry Keane, who had confessed to the guards of drinking 15 pints and maybe one or two gins, decided to get into a van and drive home to Lakshini from Scarry's. Um, and I'd hit, hit Callum um, and drove off and left him at the side of the road. Derek Keane has no memory of this at all. He was so in, he says, in, yeah. So he was in a blackout according to himself. Yeah. And, right. And, and it was a bread delivery driver found Callum. Yeah. The next morning he was doing a delivery and found him at, I think it was half past eight. Um, and then a nurse came along and you know assisted Callum and they got um, the emergency services out then for him. How long had Callum been lying on the road at that stage? Up to six hours. Okay, now you're a nurse. Yeah. And you think that if Callum had got urgent medical oh, attention, I, at I the think time there was then. certainly a hope. It's something that yeah. we'll never know. Um, but you know, like with most injuries, the sooner they get treatment, 
the more hope you have, especially with the brain of saving as much function of the brain that you can, the earlier he would have gone into hospital and got that care, I think would have been vital, yeah. Yeah. I gather it was very hard to look at Callum when you got to the hospital. It was, it was not a, a sight you wanted to see. No, no. Uh, over the numerous operations and the 200 days or so that he was in care, and I have to say Adams McConnell Ward and Beaumont not only looked after Callum, looked after us as a family magnificently. Um, over the 200 days, like Callum was a, you know, he was six foot, he was a fit man. He, um, through the operations and up in Adams McConnell Ward, um, he turned into a skeletal figure, like he was, he disappeared in front of our eyes, like, you know. You kept a, a diary when Callum was in hospital, a, a diary kind of for him if he, if yeah. he ever came back, I guess. It was a, a family friend, uh, Michael, um, was had a similar incident in, when he was on holidays in Spain and uh, a diary was kept for him. And when he woke up after the three months, when he got back to Ireland, and again, uh, Michael wasn't meant to live, uh, he had this three months given back to him by his parents and family. Um, they kept a diary of everything that happened. And uh, it gave him back the three months, and he suggested that when Callum woke up, that it'd be nice for him to have um, a few supporting words and all the things that he went through for when he woke up, and he'd he'd be able to um, you know have them three months back or yeah. six months back or whatever amount of time it was. So uh, yeah, we kept a, a diary of everything that. A lot of that diary is, was in your victim impact statement, and it's a yeah, like Mark, it's a very very hard thing to to read. And like I, I'd say, a lot of people mightn't understand that how difficult that period of time. Like it's one thing your son being knocked down and killed, but this is much much worse in lots of ways, isn't it? Having to go through that period of time and watching him suffer. Through Absolutely. That um, it's like he died over and over. Um, yeah. Like that first day, we didn't think he was going to make it. And then he stayed strong and came through in the first couple of weeks, came through numerous um, procedures. But then to watch him develop epilepsy, get pneumonia, infection after infection, um, it was, it was, you know, like, it was, each day was almost like another little death. Um, for us after the court case was like we've buried our son now three times like you know yeah did did you give up work during this time you you sat with him every day yeah Catherine and I sat with him every day yeah Catherine took some time off work I was very lucky in that a lot of my colleagues in St Joseph's intellectual disability services gave me their nights done days for me um, covered shifts for me you know colleagues were absolutely exceptional at so, during the time so your life then was going to work and then coming into to Callum basically day. yes yeah I worked um, nights and then went in to see Callum and and who else used to sit with him what about his sisters yeah his sister Lauren came in a lot uh, Michaela struggled Michaela struggled to see him Um. She came in a few times and um, 
like Callum at this stage had half his skull missing, so his head was concaved in. Um, some people could handle it and some just couldn't. Some people would visit and you'd have to sit them on the, the left side of the bed so they could visit with them for a while, like, you know. Um, but yeah, his sisters were amazing all the way through it. And and you mentioned earlier his girlfriend Ashling. She was a long term girlfriend. She, she was must have yeah. been really really hard for her. Oh, as well, it was it? heartbreaking. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. Um, Ash used to do the night time shift. Uh, she worked in a crash at the time. Um, where myself and Catherine would go in on during the day, or maybe some of the girls come in during the day. Ash used to go in most evenings, not every evening, because she was getting counselling at the time. But the, the nurses and care staff and cleaners used to love to see her come in because she always baked brownies and cookies and, you know, she was, she has a great spirit. Um, and she was amazing all the way through it, yeah. And she is one of the reasons you're here today talking about this? Absolutely, yeah. She, um, when I got the call, I, I wasn't too sure about coming in. Um, I spoke to Ash. She's since emigrated to New Zealand because she just couldn't face Ireland anymore. And uh, she said, no, go and do it. So she's the reason I'm here, yeah. So this, this long, agonising month, and then a point comes where you kind of had to accept that Callum wasn't coming back, yes? Yeah, we, we had um, met, met with uh, Dr Delargy, who was an amazing man from Dunleary Rehab, um, Centre, which you know was always our goal, was to get Callum well enough that he could go to Dunleary and to obviously recover some more. And uh, we met with Doctor Delargy one day, myself and Catherine, and um, he said because of the severity of the injuries that Callum was never going to wake up and would never have use of arms or limbs or um, have a fulfilling life, like. We had talked about on that Stevens' day that he would yeah. be in a, a permanent state of lock-in. Okay, so you go back to that conversation, and you had to make a very difficult decision then. Yeah, I suppose um, it was probably the hardest thing I had to do. I had to convince Callum's mother, who adored her blue-eyed boy, that we needed to put in a DNR, do not resuscitate, because uh, I certainly couldn't envisage going through life looking at Callum like this. And tell me about the day he died. Uh, the previous day I was in there by myself. Uh, at this stage one of his friends actually came in, Mark Kelly. Um, and I was sitting there and I thought his head had swollen because you know there was a an external drain put in at that stage to stopped the swelling and um, I thought it, personally from just sitting there during the day I thought it, it had got enlarged and I said it to Michelle who was an amazing woman she was the CNM2 of, of um, Adams McConnell Ward and Michelle got a doctor up and they became, became quite concerned and uh, this was getting quite late now and I was Still going to go into work that night. So Michelle said, look, you head off and I'll stay back and if there's anything, I'll ring you. 
and uh, I just got to the roundabout uh, uh, at the airport and Michelle rang me and said you better come back in so I spun around and went back in and originally they were going to do the operation there and then to um, to help alleviate the swelling on the brain um, and when I got back in they then decided to do it first thing the, the next morning so I went off to work uh, told Catherine who was also working that night and um, that we'd have to be in first thing in the morning and that I didn't want anybody else I didn't want I didn't want the children I didn't want friends I didn't want aunties uncles cousins okay um, <clears throat> and we went in and for probably the first time maybe the second time we walked down to the theatre with him um, we both gave him a kiss and Catherine told him to go to sleep that he'd done enough fighting and I just said an act of contrition into his ear and I don't know why it was just kind of we just thought he had enough he just thought he was done I gather you gave him a great send off, though. Yeah, uh, you know, um, he's amazing friends. Yeah, a group of friends and cousins that were out of this world through it all. Um, and they came up with ideas and things that Callum would like, and you know, there was a rap team to it. Probably for the first time ever in Lush Church, <laughs> rap songs were played carrying out the coffin. I don't know how that went down, but. Yeah, it seemed to touch a lot of people. Uh, anytime you're in trouble, um, the two communities of Lusk and Rush are just, you know, they're outstanding people. And they all gathered around and helped us through it all, yeah. Okay, now, Mark, that's obviously very hard to talk about, and I would imagine it's hard to, for, for people listening to, to hear, but you're doing this for a particular reason and, and to send out a message there. And look, something like this leaves a, a trail of destruction in so many people's lives. And like in the life of, of Derek Keane, who, who drove that night as well, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Mr Keane will have children at home this Christmas without a father as well for one mistake and they don't deserve that. Have you had any contact with him? No. He sent a letter of apology to the court, am I right? His solicitor handed a, a letter to uh, Garda Sean Pender, who looked after us all the way through the investigation, an amazing man, and a credit to his uniform, handed a letter to him, um, but we never opened it. You're quite angry with, with uh, Derek Keane because he took so long to actually plead guilty. Well, as I said to you, it was like burying Callum three times. Like uh, for the whole two years leading up to to the court case, uh, he pleaded not guilty. Uh, on the day of the court case, he did uh, eventually plead guilty, but it put Catherine, myself, and the two girls, and his half sister Hannah through absolute torture. Um not knowing what was going to happen. Like, when you bury your son, you want that to be it. You want to grieve, you want to move on. But for two years, the girls, Catherine, nobody could move on, like, you know. 
So can you forgive him? At the moment? No. No. One thing that George Martin Nolan said in court is that this type of behaviour was a thing of the past. What do you say to that? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, maybe to the extent that Mr Keane drank might be something of the past, but I mean, I still see it in my local pubs, you know, that people still have two or three pints, live around the corner and still get into a car and drive home. Okay. It makes no sense. So, Mark, we're going into the Christmas period now, which can be, you know, a, a time of, of a lot of casual, unplanned drinking at times and everything. What is your message to, to people? Just don't drink and drive. I mean, I don't think there's anybody out there that hasn't got at least five taxi numbers on their phone. You pick it up, you ring a taxi. You leave your car there, you get it the next morning. It's that simple. Okay. How are you all getting on? Oh, we're still struggling. I suppose the girls are in counselling. They've a lot on their place. Catherine is struggling big time. Um, but look, we have a good family unit and a good support group around us and we will get through. Okay. Mark, I know that wasn't easy. Thank you very much for doing that, Mark Grimes. And we will take a break.